Hi, the following podcast is an audio recording from our webinar on maximizing the effectiveness of sales training. Thank you for listening. I kind of just want to get into a little bit of a definition to really narrow the focus by what we mean by sales training. So when you think about sales training, it can fall in a number of different buckets. Selling skills training, which represents almost 35% of the market for sales training. Product knowledge, sales management skills. Company-specific knowledge, the things you would need to know about your employer or also maybe your industry. So for today, we're really going to be, when we think about selling skills and effectiveness of a sales training program, we're really looking at this first bucket on selling skills and also the sales management skills. So roughly about 50% of the overall corporate spend falls in the skills area. So I think it poses a question. I want to kind of turn it over to Ray here. You know, Ray, why should someone train their sales team? Well, you know, it's an interesting question, and especially looking at uh, the the way you broke out the the skills there. You know, we typically hear from our clients that they're looking at sales training as a way of moving the dial. And you know, when we dig into that a little bit deeper, it's what are they really trying to accomplish? And it's that they're trying to develop skills and change behaviors in a way that will increase revenue uh, and really help them meet their goals. So, you know, there's often a fairly large investment associated with sales training, and they're really looking for a, a large return on that investment in, in terms of the, the skills and the behaviors that are going to change as a result of the training. Maybe we could look at a little bit of that uh, expense on the next slide and really talk about, you know, is sales training effective? I think uh, in a study published by... Uh, American Society of Training and Development, now the Association for Talent Development, so ATD, you know, they said there's roughly $20 billion a year spent on sales training, but unfortunately it sometimes misses the mark. You know, we hear that broken out in a couple of different categories. Uh, you know, there's either a, no measurable increase in sales, they didn't change the behaviors they were looking for, or, you know, maybe the training was well-received, but it didn't stick. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't reinforced or it didn't uh, achieve the long-term objectives. So, Ray, I have a question for you. And you mentioned on the prior slide skills and behaviors. And obviously, you know, when we focus on skills, it's really the underlying behaviors. Can you give an example of what a skill set would be and then maybe what some of the underlying behaviors would be? Sure. You know, if we're looking at something like uh, prospecting as a key skill in the organization, the behaviors that we would be looking for are really their ability to conduct that effectively. So that can they open the call? Can they build rapport? Can they really demonstrate an, the impact and the benefit initially of uh, why, they're, why they're taking the call? So do they get a chance to understand what those skills are and practice those in the sales training? Those are the, some of the things we'd be looking for as key behaviors uh, around that skill set. Right. I know we're going to come back to that point a little bit more when we get to program measurement, but I first want to start by just getting our audience to uh, share with us some of their thoughts. So I'm going to bring up a poll in just a minute, and let me just read that for you. What factor do you think poses the greatest challenge for sales training initiatives? And there's a number of uh, selections here, lack of clear program objectives, sales reps not being held accountable, no reinforcement plan, participants aren't motivated. So let me just bring up, uh, or lack of executive sponsorship, a quick poll. And for those of you who haven't participated in a poll, it's pretty simple. You just click the radio button, that and I'll leave that up here for a minute. 
Ray, I think you've seen all these, you know, in working with various clients. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, maybe when you think about the lack of clear program objectives and, you know, sometimes we get people are calling and saying, you know, I'm going to have a training event. And it seems like, uh, you know, a sales leader may want to do training more for the sake of training. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think that's that's definitely the place to start of what are we trying to accomplish with this initiative and what outcomes. You know, we like to ask the question six months from now, what will they be doing differently uh, than they are today and how will we know if it's successful? So how can we actually measure that? We'll, we'll talk through a bit of that in terms of the best practices, but I think that's a really important place to start. And you're right, you know, we, we frequently hear all of these challenges, and in fact sometimes it's difficult to uh, just choose one of them. Great. Well, I just closed the poll. We've got some really great participation here, and I'm broadcasting the results, so hopefully our audience uh, can, uh, can see these results. But, you know, really half of the, uh, half the uh, participants are saying no reinforcement plan. And so one of the key areas we're going to want to focus on is for making that training stick. You know, it's just like anything in life. If you only went to a couple of golf lessons, you may actually improve your swing a little bit, but without reinforcement, you're going to go back to doing things the same way. So clearly, for program effectiveness, reinforcement is a is a huge issue. Uh, Ray, just your thought maybe about holding sales reps accountable and what you're seeing in terms of accountability from training programs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think they need to know, and, and as we'll talk through, what's expected of them, you know, we like to say the Monday morning action plan, but what's expected of them Monday after the training or the following week and weeks to come and unless they come out of there with some idea of, you know, what's expected to be different and what they're going to have to do, unfortunately, it, it, it frequently becomes that uh, binder on the shelf. And, uh, you know, the, the skills won't stick, and nor will ultimately the, uh, the objectives be met. So I think both that accountability and the reinforcement are critical to success. I'm going to digress for just a minute, but, you know, part of that reinforcement accountability, I know you've been doing a lot of work with clients around mobility initiatives and really taking the training out of the classroom into mobile devices. Well, I get rid of the poll here. Do you want to just kind of share what you're thinking there in terms of using mobility as a way to reinforce programs? Yeah, I think the best programs are ones that can really get down to the day in the life. So when you can deliver those tools as, as interactive forms, you know, things that they can actually use while they're out in the field, as well as training snippets, and, and that may be uh, an on-demand uh, track that's a reinforcement they can listen to, or in fact it may be an assessment question that gets delivered out to their mobile device, to their phone or their iPad, and allows them to apply that skill to a scenario. You know, there's some great technology out there that makes that much easier and, uh, and more effective to do these days than it was even just a few years ago. Let me um, appreciate that. Let me thank our audience for participating in that poll and just kind of share with you some of our research on what we see as common sales training challenges. The first is unrealistic expectations. So some there was an executive sponsor who felt there was going to be an immediate increase in revenues due to a training program. And we'll, we'll get to kind of what are reasonable measurements and what's a reasonable period of time. As Ray pointed out, maybe uh, – there weren't specific objectives, so someone wasn't able to articulate six months from now as a result of this program, you know, X, Y, and Z are going to happen. The participants may not think they need it. They kind of go there begrudgingly. They're really not excited about the training. The executives don't see it as a, you know, you know, something that's important to them, so there's just not strong sponsorship. 
And I think the last two are very closely linked and kind of um, align with what all of you shared in the in the poll that if it's you know kind of a one-time event and there isn't reinforcement, the training's not going to stick. So we're all familiar with the challenges, which is probably why you know so many people are interested in att- in attending the the webinar. But let's talk about how we address those challenges. And with that, I want to talk a little bit about program success and sustainability. And so we have a great white paper. We can make that white paper available following this webinar on, you know, the five key factors that maximize uh, program success and sustainability at a high level. They're motivation, customization, space learning, reinforcement, and measurement. So these are the five key factors that can impact and we think really positively impact a program, make that program really effective and, most importantly, sustainable. So, Ray, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you for the first one on motivation and just kind of speak a little bit to motivation both internally and externally and what that, what that really looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Norman. You know, I think when we look at uh, internal motivation, that's really the what's in it for me as, as a sales professional. You know, why should I take this training and, and why might it make a difference or why might it be important? You know, we, we love the programs where we are able to kick them off with a pre-training skills assessment. And that does a couple of things. One, it provides a little bit of a benchmark and it also gives a preview of the materials. So as they go through that assessment, they may be looking at, oh, you know, that's really interesting. I, maybe I should spend a little more time on call objectives or planning uh, or profiling. You know, so the, I think it gives a, a nice way to start thinking about the plan, understand how it fits into their own development, you know, longer term. And then now, especially with uh, gamification, you know, badges, giving some type of recognition for training, uh, I think people are motivated by that. I think it's nice to be able to have a recognition for having completed a course or a series of courses and uh, getting recognition uh, associated with that. Now, I was thinking back on a program we ran on the sales management track around coaching where we did a pre-skills assessment, and there was a lot of skepticism from some of the senior managers as to whether they really needed the training. Maybe you could just kind of share what that assessment looked like and what that did really to kind of create some motivation with that particular client. Sure. You know, when I think you start to see trends across your, your management group, uh, and in fact the light bulb goes on for the individuals as well to say, you know, especially around something like sales coaching, um, you know, am I taking time to think about key skills before I go into a call? What am I going to coach on and how am I going to provide that feedback you know, it was really enlightening, and also I think it, it showed to management that there were some significant gaps in the skills and uh, behaviors they were looking for from their managers that uh, that could be addressed during the sales training program. If, if I recall correctly, you actually uh, took the feedback with help from our operations manager and put that into a spreadsheet and then put that in one of the PowerPoint slides. What was it like when that slide slide went up on the uh, you know in front of in front of the group? Yeah, you know, I think it reinforced the the setup for the program where nobody could argue, you know, with with kind of their self-assessments and also to see the trends and think, okay, well, maybe I'm not in this alone, but now I have a little bit more motivation, maybe a little bit more interest in uh, the the material that's coming up because it identified those gaps, as as you mentioned. Okay, so you mentioned internal is really what's in it for the for the learner. How about in terms of the executive involvement and the executive sponsorship? You know, kind of what are some of the best practices there? 
Yeah, you know, the most successful programs we see are, are really where it's, it's the internal, so getting the individuals on board, but, but really getting that external executive sponsorship for the program, starting with the kickoff, starting with the why is it important. And, in fact, we published a blog on this a few weeks ago. We can make that link available. But in terms of those things that a sponsor can do to set a program up for sec- success, it's really critical that they communicate the expectations, that they show enthusiasm for the program, and we really like to see executives participating in some way. So to the extent that they can sit in in the sessions, be there, be visible, and participate, you know, we've had uh, Fortune 500 companies where even the executive team and CEOs sit in uh, in the kickoff and, and say, this is important to the organization, we want to make this successful. And in fact, we have the frontline managers engaged and involved, one, so they can see the material, and also they can be available to help coach and support it and reinforce it after the training. We'll speak to that in, in just a few minutes. But, you know, I wanted to, to share a little story uh, we had recently with a client who kind of followed these guidelines, and, and we worked with them on the pre-training communication. And one of the things that uh, executive sponsor did was communicate with each of the participants one-on-one beforehand and just set the tone and said, you know, I'm really excited about this training. I look forward to hearing your feedback. And, in fact, I'm going to be in the session and I'm going to be paying attention um, and watching how people participate. So, you know, if you think that didn't send a message, one, that it was important, and two, he was paying attention, um, it was one of the most engaged and involved sessions I've ever had the, the pleasure to facilitate because everybody was very motivated and also realized, you know, people were paying attention and it, and it mattered. It really did make a difference. So to recap, really the executive sponsorship and the participation of the managers is critical, also getting the individuals who are going to be participating in the program excited and motivated. And so now that you're getting, you're ready to launch the program, you've got the motivation, you also have to make sure that program's really relevant. And so the, the key benefit of customization is really one of relevancy. So something you can do to make sure that they don't feel like they're getting an off-the-shelf or an industry-neutral program is to make sure that the, whether you're delivering this internally or using a third party like us to deliver the training and develop the program is to make sure that there were intake interviews really to identify the business goals and skill gaps. Also learn about the business, learn about the industry, learn about the competitive uh, competitive um, solutions that are out there and really make the training relevant. Uh, talk to uh, training professionals, sales managers, top performers, Ride-alongs are great. I know in a lot of our engagements, we spend time actually out in the field with salespeople, kind of just observing a day in the life, understanding what their day looks like, and kind of what skill areas come in and and when, so that we're we're, we're able to take the information that we're gathering from these intake interviews, and then really weave them into the program content, whether that's you know, aligning with the business goals, addressing particular skill gaps, developing customized role plays, exercises where they can apply uh, skills, and also just the terminology, the look and feel. Make sure that it really represents a the branding and the culture of of the of the organization itself. And I think that the initial impact rate that this makes when you know you you have a program and they're saying something that has very specific examples. They're dealing with the objections they actually encounter with their clients. The discovery is being done around the type of questions they would ask. The branding looks and feels like their company. 
it immediately sets the tone that this program is relevant, and I think customization and relevancy are, are inextricably linked when it comes to program design. Well, I think that, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think what we often find, especially from more veteran uh, sales professionals who may have been through training in the past, you know, frankly, they may be looking for a reason uh, to doubt or to not support the program. And as soon as you see something that's completely out of the industry or out of context, um, you know, they, they're going to be quick, I think, to jump on that. And, you know, especially those programs where, you know, frankly, all they do is a search and replace on, on the name and maybe throw the logo on the cover, they're going to say, this doesn't fit us. You know, why, why are we here? So I think working with instructional designers and graphic artists as we put our team together for those projects and really customize not just the, the look and feel but the content around the customized role plays and exercises, I think that's really where the program comes to life. Now, Ray, I think uh, last, well, I know last week you were down in Texas. You can't really disclose the name of the client, but you and another, you know, one of our colleagues spent about three days on site. Tell us what that looks like. You know, what, what are you actually trying to understand when you, when you get involved in customization? Sure. You know, I think the idea that you want to see how the program is going to fit and starting with those learning objectives, you know, does this align with the goals they're trying to accomplish? And then in that case, you know, we had the opportunity to go do a couple of days of ride-alongs with some of their sales professionals, really see a, a day in the life, uh, see how they're currently applying skills in the field and, and how they resonate with their, their prospects and customers, and then really uh, spend a couple of days, you know, in the war, war room, if you will, uh, going through the materials and trying them on and seeing where they need to be tailored and customized, coming out really with a training specification that's going to detail exactly uh, how that program is is going to be uh, facilitated and how it's going to be reinforced over time. I think what we've found is that there's really three skill sets that are involved here. Basically, uh, consult you know the ability to consult and understand instructional design and graphics. So it really takes someone who can go in and kind of understand what are the business objectives, what's going on today, what might need to be changed. An instructional designer can actually go in and make those changes work, and then a graphic artist who can kind of pull it all together in, in the form of effective presentations. So we've now got the motivation in place. We've got a program that's highly relevant through customization. Now we're ready to deliver that program. And, you know, a concept that's, you know, getting a lot of um, – notoriety in the industry is this, the whole notion of space learning. And, you know, that's not necessarily a common term. So, Ray, do you want to just kind of elaborate on what space learning is and what it looks like in the context of a training program? Sure. Well, I think, I think especially when you look at uh, kind of adult learning theory and, and the idea that, one, we're, we're all very busy. There's, you know, kind of multitasking and, and a lot of things going on in, in any uh, sales professional's career. Um, you know, to try to absorb all of the material at, at one point is, is really very difficult and maybe too much to ask. So the one-and-done programs of the past, um, you know, I think may not hit the mark. What we're looking at is really chunking the program up. So even though there may be a training event that kicks it off, again, how is that going to be delivered over time? That's why we really like the idea of, of pre-training both assessment and some sort of pre-work or pre-assignment and then a training session or sessions that occur, and then that follow-up reinforcement and coaching that goes on, you know, I think it becomes part of an integrated package, and it fits well both, you know, within the busy schedules as well as for retention so that they have more time to apply those skills, try them out, see what's working, 
and uh, really be able to engage over a period of time. You know, one thing that occurred to me, and it's something, you know, that we've we've done quite a bit uh, in the last couple of years, and I know we're in the midst of a a major one right now, is when you think about global deployments, can can you kind of just kind of share kind of for global deployments how you would use space learning? Yeah, well, I think, you know, to the last point here about enabling technology, um, we do a, a large amount of our training using the virtual classroom, and I think in a global environment, uh, the opportunity to be able to do that and run concurrent sessions. Uh, current client example we're doing uh, right now, you know, we have two two sessions in <clears throat> Asia, two in Europe, one in India, and three in North America, and we're able to deliver that all essentially over a, a day or two period given the different time zones. Um, so what it does is it keeps all of uh, the participants more or less on the same page, kind of at the same pace, and then we're able to break that out. So we're doing sessions every other week so that they get some additional material. And we're talking two- to three-hour sessions typically. In this case, it's two-hour sessions. Um, so it's an amount that they can absorb. They can try it out. They get some field work to do in between the sessions. And then we're able to get back together and uh, both reinforce and uh, discuss new topics uh, for, for the next session. So I think that's a, a great example of how a PACE program over time can really help uh, meet the learning objectives. So I know in the industry there's been a lot of changes in the way training is being deployed, and clear, you know, multimodal training is, is obviously best, but this is a polling question we've asked on many occasions, and the, the answers have shifted dramatically over the years based on technology and the economy. But we're just curious, and we'd like to get some input. You know, what's the primary method your company uses for training uh, sales, you know, for delivering sales training? Is it on-site instructor-led training? Is it the use of virtual classrooms, e-learning self-paced, books and manuals, or other? And so I'm going to bring up just another uh, quick poll, and we'll kind of get a sense for – and we're not saying that we think one method is necessarily better than the other. We, We think they all play a key role in a blended program. But like to just kind of again leave this open for a moment. So Ray and I have the advantage of being able to see some of the results first, but it's uh, it's really interesting what we're seeing, and I will say there's been a shift. So let's just give it another minute, and we'll um, we'll, we'll post the results. Sure, you know, and I think this is another case where people are saying, well, I don't want to just pick one. Um, you know, but again, we're looking at primary. So, so what's first? And then we understand that you know, blended programs, or in many cases, you may be leveraging uh, several different types of uh, learning learning modes here, delivery modes. Let me go ahead and broadcast the results. And um, you know, I think this uh, shift in instructor-led classroom training, we actually saw that number go down for a period of time, and now with arguably a stronger economy, we're seeing more and more investment in the classroom. Uh, we do think for the start of a program, after the assessment you know, has, has been done, uh, classroom plays a great role as a, as a place to start. But it's interesting, you know, it really, the clustering is around those first three, which is instructor-led, followed by the virtual classroom, followed by e-learning. And, Ray, I know you, you worked on a major program, you know, with a deployment with 2,000 uh, participants where they're using all three modes you want to just comment on how they're using each of the three delivery methods? Yeah, you know, I think that is a great example of a, of a blended program where, you know, they took what was initially 32 hours of instructor-led uh, content. So this was part of, of new hire onboarding, 
uh, a sales training um, intensive for for new associates joining the organization. Uh, but then they broke that down into about 12 hours of virtual uh, training. So again, this could be delivered in two-hour chunks. Could be for either more veterans or could be used as a primer for those um, who who hadn't been through uh, the more intensive instructor-led training. And and obviously that allows a lot more flexibility, you know, regionally and to have a session where others can join across across the country. Uh, and then in that case, the, the client also asked us to convert it to an e-learning on-demand, so in other words, self-paced. And so we broke that down into 60 short uh, snippets, if you will, two to three minutes at a, at a time. And so they could take those, again, as either pre-training, uh, overview, or as reinforcement. And those are available, again, both on their learning management system as well as delivered down to the mobile device. So it's something they could use to review those concepts uh, in the field, if you will, or work with their manager on a specific topic and uh, review the e-learning uh, over time. So what I would share there is that we actually do have a case study on that. It's called Transforming Sales Training. And if anybody would like to get a copy of that case study, you could just email Jackie at the salesreadinessgroup.com. Actually, Jackie at salesreadinessgroup.com. Put in case study. I'm sure she'd be happy to uh, send a copy of that to you. So when we think about space learning, you know, I think our audience has it exactly right, Ray. There, there are really three key attributes that we recommend, and they happen to be the three that the, uh, you know, really came up in the poll: the on-site classroom delivery, the virtual instructor-led training, uh, good, really great for global deployments, also really good for reinforcement, which we're going to speak about, and then the on-demand e-learning, which could be used both as a training primer and also as a way to reinforce uh, the training. You know, and even, you know, as you mentioned with mobility earlier, even having those available on iPads and other kind of uh, mobile devices so you can get some just-in-time reinforcement. So with that, you know, let's, let's look at some different methods of reinforcement. Um, there's tools and job aids. So, again, to the extent those tools now can be made uh, available for mobile devices or integrated in your CRM platform, so much the better. Uh, using live virtual classroom for reinforcement sessions, maybe 30, we like to recommend 30, 60, and 90 days following the initial classroom training. Probably the most effective uh, type of reinforcement, personalized coaching sessions. Um, obviously, you can get right into discussions about that person's particular skill area, kind of where they're doing well, reinforce those areas, where there's room for improvement, zero in on key skills, and really work on, on, on those skills. On-demand modules, so basically pre- and post-training on-demand. And quizzes, really, to understand, you know, retention. So, again, a number of different methods of reinforcement. Um, the one that we think is really, you know, they, they're all important, but the one that we think has the biggest impact really involves the sales manager around uh, sales coaching. We're huge believers that have a company only had a limited budget in terms of where they're going to get the highest ROI. We do think it's around coaching programs and making sure that there's a coaching culture. You have sales simulations. They can actually practice skills in a conference room or in an office. Call observations. You can actually go out and see those skills. Conferences to debrief on, you know, what's going right, what are some of the areas for improvement. And then using those coaching uh, moments to create personal development plans so that you're creating this whole um, 
culture of continuous skills program of skin, continuous skills improvement across your organization. And I think we've got some interesting data to support um, uh, the benefits of coaching. Ray, I know you were involved in this, you know, uh, study that came out from CSO Insights and just the correlation between revenue attainment and strength of coaching programs. Yeah, you know, and I think um, that the sales coaching, as you mentioned, shows up kind of at the top of our list of priorities. I, I think one one comment I wanted to make on the previous two slides is just that this is something that that should and needs to be part of the discussion when you're kicking off the program. In other words, or, or prior to kicking off, how is it going to be reinforced and, and how is it going to be coached? And again, getting the executives and, and managers on board. You know, we had a client use the term, and I've kind of picked up on it, that they wanted to avoid dropping a, a sales training bomb on the organization. And unfortunately, I think that's uh, all too often what happens, which is we deliver the training and everybody's excited about it, and then it's, you know, what next? And it does kind of blow things up a little bit. People are wondering, okay, how am I supposed to go about doing my work now or what's supposed to be different, and we really haven't put that in place. So I think that needs to be discussed and decided on really before uh, we kick off the program so that they know, again, coming out of the sessions, you know, what, what is uh, coaching and reinforcement going to look at. So this study that was done with uh, CSO Insights that we were a part of is really interesting, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty simple uh, representation here. But what it says is of those organizations that are doing a good job coaching, if you will, so when coaching exceeds expectations uh, of, of the clients they surveyed, they're actually doing a better job meeting their revenue plan. So they're achieving a much higher percentage of their plan than those where coaching needs improvement. So in other words, coaching has a, a pretty significant ROI on helping you and, and your sales professionals meet their objectives. And I think it's one of those things that uh, managers can and should be doing daily anyway. So, you know, that's one of those uh, great places to start on any type of a training program and, and as part of the reinforcement effort. Yeah, well, and I'd love to hear point. a little bit more from the group. Go ahead, Norman. Yeah, I was just going to mention that we do have a copy of the study. It's called The Business Case for Sales Training, and it's available off our website in the Resource Center, or you could, uh, again, email Jackie and we could send out a copy. It not only goes through sales coaching, but also has a lot of really good data around the benefits uh, associated with sales training programs as well. You were mentioning about, you know, just getting a little more participation here, Ray, and I would like to, you know, you know, sales coaching if you is a really high-ranking Google term, and there's not going to be any organization that says that, you know, sales coaching isn't important. I think people are largely believers in sales coaching, but we find that even though there's a strong belief in coaching, uh, people really are not doing all that much coaching. We find that managers don't coach nearly as much as they as they should. So I think what you were getting to is maybe we could just um, get some thoughts from the participants here. What are some of the sales coaching challenges? So what we're doing is we're bringing up a chat pot here. There's a little white box near the bottom. You can just type in what some of the challenges are. We'd love to get your thoughts as to why managers may not be coaching as, as much as they should. And again, that gets back to the importance that we think that they – the line manager's involvement is critical. So time is uh, coming up three times in a row uh, as, as, as a concern. Um, too focused on the numbers. Uh, 
confusing pipeline gap discussion. So they, they think that going through the pipeline uh, don't feel it's their duty to facilitate continued learning. So they don't they think that maybe is something more for the uh, training department. See one here really on coaches are directive and not coaching. Well, we would we would argue that directing is not coaching. Uh, there is a role for directing. Ray, what else are you seeing here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to kind of hear the themes. I mean, uh, also one around just really not knowing what coaching is, either not having the skills or not having a definition. Um, you know, I think that's always one of those challenges. If you don't know how to do something and somebody says, well, go coach your team, what does that mean? How am I supposed to actually uh, engage? So we'll, we'll talk to that uh, briefly here on the next slide. I'm seeing one from Sherry here that's really interesting where it says coach numbers, not skills. And, you know, ironically, you've got to coach the skills to get the numbers. You really can't coach the numbers. So I guess your, your comment earlier about behavior. So really good insights coming here. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just make one other comment on that is I think as sales professionals, you know, most – sales managers grew up as a bag-carrying, you know, sales professional, not all, not always, but uh, in many cases. And so I think we are much more comfortable coaching numbers and coaching deals than maybe we're, we are coaching skills and behaviors. And I think it's a key distinction that we make in our coaching program. You know, there's one thing to coach a pipeline or, or coach an opportunity. That's something we feel pretty good about. It's another to really get to the underlying skills that need to be improved uh, to be able to address that need. Yeah, Betty's got an interesting insight, uncomfortable coaching performance versus results. So we would say that the performance leads to results. So we, we agree with you. That's a problem. Uh, Cruz has a uh, comment here, no process structure or pattern and schedule. So if you don't have a coaching process, you don't have a schedule, it's part, not, part of the rhythm of the management. So we recommend a quarterly rhythm to coaching where you actually develop and update coaching plans on a quarterly basis and then execute those plans Ron's got here no expectations around coaching, so there really isn't any expectation from senior management that coaching is part of the of the management role. Well, you know, Eric has an interesting comment here, too, about uh, being a super salesperson uh, as opposed to pivoting to be a sales coach. And I think, you know, we, we use sports analogies quite a bit in our training. I think that is the case of the player coach uh, often has a very difficult position or, or challenge of, maybe having great skills as a sole contributor or an individual, but not having those skills to, to coach and manage others. So I think that, that absolutely mm -hmm. is a challenge. Well, I think this makes our next slide look a little bit weak because I think our audience had uh, uh, th th these ideas and, and then some, but you know, whether it's not sure how to coach, not accountable for coaching, time, commitment, Ray, do you want to elaborate on the last one where, you know, coaching could actually be viewed as remedial or confrontational? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, coaching often gets a bad rap as uh, something that's done when somebody's put on a performance improvement plan or they're being coached as a last step before maybe they're moved out of the organization. And, uh, you know, again, we like to see coaching done at all levels of the organization, coaching the, the top performers uh, as well as, as the middle and, and those who are struggling. And that, in fact, a, a culture where coaching is seen as positive, something you seek out and say, hey, can you give me some feedback? Can I work with you on this? You know, that's where high-performing organizations really shine. And so I think that's one of those things around the coaching mindset that we like to really stress as we're going through the coaching training. I, you know, I was just going to hit on one other point here that came up uh, in the chat. A number of 
people about the time commitment, saying, well, I don't have time to spend out in the field, and, and, you know, I can't spend enough time coaching. And, you know, we asked the question, well, how else are you spending your time? Because chances are you're providing feedback, maybe you're fighting fires, maybe you're doing things day in and day out that are kind of immediate, urgent coaching. Well, if we can change that mindset a bit to do those things in advance and improve the skills, you actually start to gain some time back, and we can actually um, get a return on the investment in that time because now people are able to solve those problems on their own. But that takes, uh, you know, some commitment and some discipline and the idea that you're spending time on those things that are uh, important, maybe not as urgent, but uh, are critical to the success of the organization. Right, and I think that a lot of managers that came up from the sales ranks, they're very eager to continue to use their sales skills even though it's a new set of skills, and so... They really look at themselves as a chief problem solver, and so they never have any time because they're moving from one crisis to the other, where if they really become effective coaches, they can really empower their sales team. And that's what you know gets to a high-functioning sales team is where people are empowered, and they can really start to solve their own problems, and the manager can go from being highly reactive to very strategic and proactive. So I think that the time commitment, ironically, well, it's coaching will take more time in the short term, uh, they're going to find that it is a major time saver. So we've touched on four key areas associated with, um, you know, effective training programs, the idea of motivation, customization, space learning, and reinforcement. And I want to get to that fifth area and one that is really important to the executive sponsors, and I think really important to all of us, which is how are we going to measure success? And so... The time to think about measurement is not at the end of the program, but really in the program design. You know, Ray, you, you mentioned earlier what will happen differently six months or a year from now if this program is successful. And so there's a number of ways to look at, you know, is the training being applied on the job? But I want to come back to kind of four levels of measurement, and we think they're all important. Uh, these are all based on the Kirkpatrick model. Level one, you know, just satisfaction with the training. Did they like the training materials? Did they think the training materials were relevant? Did they like the facilitator? Did the facilitator effectively conduct the session, answer their questions, engage the audience? That's important because the training has to be interesting and make an immediate impact. You know, Then you get to the level two, which is, do they really gather the knowledge? There's some great ways to assess knowledge checks. A lot of that can be done online through quizzes even some new forms of interactive quizzes that are available. What we think is most important is really the skills application, behavior change. And that's why I asked you at the beginning, Ray, a little bit about the difference between skills and behavior. It's those behaviors that are really important. Um, and those are things that are observable, whether that's in sales simulations or in coaching. So what key behaviors, what things will our salespeople do better as a result of this training program? They're going to have better conversations with customers. They're going to better manage objections when they come up. They're going to learn how to negotiate more effectively around value and not on price. Those are things that we could see objectively if we're actually going out and coaching and and visiting them. At the end of the day, though, sometimes it does take level four business result uh, measurements to really satisfy the executive sponsors. And two that we think are really important, you know, all things being equal, uh, would be productivity per salesperson and the ramp-up time of new hires. So, again, what you're measuring will vary with the program, but I think the key takeaway here on measurement, and Ray, I'd love your, your thoughts, is really 
making sure that measurement isn't an afterthought, but measurement's really being thought about at the very beginning as part of the program design. Yeah, again, going back to those initial discussions that, that we handled during our consultation and customization phase, of, of understanding what's important, understanding why the training is happening, and what objectives they're trying to meet, I think then we can craft a good conversation around what metrics they're going to, to use and at the end of the day, you know, how they're going to measure success. Um, what we love is the opportunity to be able to say, hey, this program has been successful and here's why, and now you have a great story to tell. But I think that, again, starts up front uh, during some of those initial conversations. Great. So we have a couple of thoughts we want to, you know, to have, have you think about as you, as you, uh, you know, reflect back on this webinar. You know, first starts with really clearly defining the training objectives. What are, what is the training setting out to accomplish? Really important that there's clear objectives. It's not just because we have an annual conference. The annual conference may be a great opportunity to launch the program, but let's use it wisely. Let's really make sure we're understanding what those objectives are. Focus on motivation. Is the, do the participants, are they excited? Do they, do they know how that program is going to benefit them? And then also focus on the executive sponsors and the frontline managers to make sure there really is sponsorship of the program. Customize the program for relevancy. We can't overemphasize how important that is. The program will fall flat if the participants don't see it as uh, relevant. Leverage space learning. Uh, make sure that the program isn't a one and done, that it is chunked out over time. We had some feedback on using classroom, virtual classroom, and on-demand. We think those are a great choice. Reinforce the program predominantly through sales coaching, but also through follow-up virtual sessions, mobility tools, anything you can to create accountability, and then use realistic metrics to measure results and really think about what those results are at the beginning. So, Jack, I know we kind of are pushing against our time limit, and I, I can already tell that you have a couple of questions. Let me turn it back to you, and we can take some of those questions. All right. Thank you, Norman and Ray, for leading today's webinar. <clears throat> Based on the number of questions I've received, there is definitely a lot of interest in this topic. Before we get to the Q&A, I wanted to briefly mention that I would let, uh, excuse me, Mention that if you would like a copy of today's presentation slides, email me at Jackie at salesreadiness.com, and I'd be pleased to send them to you. So Ray and Norman, it looks like we have time for a few questions. Our first one is, our executive sponsor, excuse me, what kind of pre-training assessments work best for sales training initiatives? Okay, um, Jackie, thank you. I'll, I'll take a stab at that. So go ahead and repeat the question one more time. What kind of pre-training assessments work best for sales training initiatives? So I think those are assessments that focus on the key skills that um, are associated with success in that program. So, you know, different organizations, it could be called planning skills. Uh, it could be identifying uh, priorities through questioning skills. It could be presenting value and using a feature advantage uh, benefit model to do that. It could be managing objections. And I think that a, a really good assessment that would go out online where participants in the program would assess kind of a, their confidence level or their proficiency in various skills and also have their manager conduct that assessment as well. So you're getting 
basically this 180 view, the salesperson's own view of their proficiency, the manager's view of their proficiency, and then based on the feedback you're getting from the collective participants, be able to really amplify those areas that um, where there are skill gaps. Not without, you know, you wouldn't want to skip any areas, but you certainly are going to want to spend more time where where there are gaps. Okay, thank you. Our next question, our executive sponsor wants us to focus on results. Which results should we measure? <laughs> well, I could take a shot at that, Norman, though I don't know that I have a, a, a magic bullet there. You know, I, I think, as we said, that should be a conversation that's really part of setting the objectives and expectations. So I would want to ask from that sponsor what they're trying to accomplish and, you know, have those tangible measurements that we can. So, uh, Norman, as I think you did a nice job outlining the different levels, you know, first, did they, did they like the training? Did they understand it? And are they applying the skills? So what are those skills and behaviors that we're really looking to change? And so I'd want to get pretty clear with the executive sponsor about what those look like. And then ultimately, the, you know, the business results. Um, but, you know, frankly, if we get brought into a program, which sometimes happens, and said, well, we're trying to improve our numbers for Q4, so we want to have training next week, um, you know, that may not be setting you up to be as successful as, as possible because it's going to take a while to achieve those business results, and they're also much more difficult to measure. So I'd want to break that down a little bit more and understand what, really what that sponsor is trying to accomplish. And Anthony asked, what do you think about using more experienced agents to help coach the new agents? I think that, that is, you know, really would follow not only in the area of coaching. Uh, we typically think of coaching as something that the managers do with the, you know, with the salespeople, in your case, agents. Uh, we love the idea of more experienced people uh, providing coaching. We would actually probably more refer to that as mentoring, but I think you're still getting to the same point, which is if you have someone who is proficient in certain skill areas and they can help someone else advance the skills, we, we would be very supportive of that kind of approach and using that, again, as one of the, another mode of reinforcement of, of selling skills. So I think we would, we would, we would view that very positively as long as it didn't take away from that agent's primary responsibility of achieving their own goals. All right, thank you. In the interest of time, I'm going to end the Q&A, but please email us at info at salesreadinessgroup.com if you have any additional questions. Thank you again for joining us today.